Hello, and welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get right to it. Well, Dave, there's a hot topic right now, and that is ESG, environmental social governance, as they say. Down in Florida, Governor DeSantis just issued a big plan to, I believe, protect Floridians from this ESG trend, which is all about woke investments. Uh, It would basically ban these big banks and credit card companies and money transmitters from discriminating against customers based on their religious, political, or social beliefs, which have been identified as contributing to the ESG score. What's your read on ESG, and do you agree with this bill? Uh, It's interesting because it's not just Florida also. It's it's happening in West Virginia and Texas and Louisiana, too. Well, I, you know, let me preface by say by saying a few things. Well, first of all, the $64,000 question, Gary, is this the canary in the coal mine that your loyalty might be starting to gravitate from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis? Should we should we should we take that as a potential sign? <laughs> I I will support whoever's There we go. God, you know, I I've heard that from a few tr- people uh in in in, in, the, in the party, but in any case, to answer your question, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis, like so much of this stuff, I think there's 10 or 20% of substance. So there, it's not totally out of left field, but a lot of it is basically, you know, trying to run on social issues, cultural issues, the culture war. So, I, I mean, I think it's it's largely hot air, but there is some substance there. But you have to remember, Ron DeSantis, he, you know, he... he um, He's signed bills that have allowed parents to essentially ban books in school to, you know, what was the stop woke bill that banned discussion of race in school. You know, he revoked Disney's self-governing status, which resulted in higher property taxes for all the people in Orange counties and those neighboring areas. He, uh, you know, he impeded uh uh, ex-felons' ability to vote, even though almost 70% of Floridians had approved it. You know, and of course, there was the don't say gay bill, which, again, I think is was the classic example of trying to appeal to people's because the bottom line is that people are comfortable with same-sex marriage, but a lot of people are not comfortable with the gender, with the trans stuff. And the party is playing very skillfully on that. And so I think a lot of it comes back to that. So, yes, is there some substance here? But I think most of it is a great excuse to rage the culture wars. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think uh, you've said everything, Dave. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think that uh, the ESG thing is a big... I, so I just started a new fellowship with the State Financial Officers Foundation, and that's actually a big issue that they're looking at, is because a lot of these banks have... in in, in you know, at large part, let's just say climate change, for example. In West Virginia, uh, five banks just got banned from doing business in the state of West Virginia because these banks were specifically trying to target the oil and gas industry. And the, the state of West Virginia passed a law to say, you can't discriminate against our industries that is the livelihood of the people of West Virginia. And I think that that's, I think they have the right to do that. I think it's pushing back against these banks who are treating, you know, everyday middle America, you know, non-Wall Street elites, uh, it, you know, they're treating them with disdain. Um, and so I, I think it's good to, to push back. So I think that what Ron DeSantis is doing is that he's trying to say, okay, if, if you want to, if you want to politicize business, we're going to stop you from doing that. 
And, and the phrase we like to say is return to neutral. So stop making it a left or right thing, to be honest. Like, keep it all out. Just just go back to neutral. Why, why does everything have to be politicized? Why do we have to teach uh, that America is hopelessly racist? That's that's what the critical race theory yeah. is. That's what the yeah. Florida thing is about. That's if They want to teach 1619 Project. And, that, and he's saying, no, that's you're not going to use taxpayer money to teach children to hate their country. I think that that... The vast majority of people agree with that. Well, first of all, again, you know, you have a few, a, a couple of things. First of all, I agree. Nobody should be discriminated against no matter what industry you're in. And for the record, I've always been someone who says, yes, I, I, I uh, believe in climate change. I think the carbon problem is very real, but that doesn't mean that we should have energy security because whether we like it or not, for the next 20 years, 75% at least of our energy needs are going to be satisfied by fossil fuels. And that's just reality. And anyone who denies that is detached from reality. But getting back to what you're saying, a lot of these companies also want people to say what their carbon, a lot of these uh, people want to know what a carbon footprint of a company is. I think that's very reasonable. I think that's information that people should know. That's not discriminating. So again, the, the truth is more complicated. And you, you know, you, this critical race theory is a favorite tool of the right in the culture wars. It is, you know, it's like defund the police. There's like two people or isolated, minimal examples that have come up and said this. And, you know, the party gets gets uh, plundered because, you know, Cory Bush wants to defund the police when Joe Biden never said defund the police. The party gets plundered because a few teachers have talked about critical race theory, whereas 99% of teachers don't talk about it. So again, do I think this stuff is should be discussed? No. I think the 1619 project is historical poo-poo. I've said that. I, I think that uh, critical race theory is something that uh, overall is, has been used to, to, uh, for poor means. Okay, So I'm, I'm not defending any of this. But again, it all gets back to just an excuse to rage the culture wars. And I've never heard anyone made a convincing argument, make a convincing argument against that. That's where it, it comes down to. So my question for you, very important. It seems like the Democrats may have actually had a good week. It seems like they might have actually been in array instead of disarray, as everyone's saying. And it looks like there may be some legislative wins with the you know so-called microchip bill, with uh, part of uh, Biden's Build Back agenda, which I think actually is a much more reasonable. This is something I would have supported, not the bonanza that was uh, presented before. So my question for you is, do you think this is going to have an effect on the midterms? And what's your prediction for how the midterms are going to shake out in terms of who's going to control the two chambers? Well, I, I think if there is impact, it will be limited and negative because it's only going to increase taxes. It's going to increase the closing uh, loopholes. Come on, it's going to increase... you, you can't argue against any of those. No, loopholes. it's not going. To, it's not going to close. The, the title is the uh, you know Inflation Reduction Act, but the University of Pennsylvania mm -hmm. has has issued a study. Moody's Analytics has issued a study. Everybody's showing this is not going to reduce inflation. It is a lie to call it the Inflation Reduction Act. That's a lie. Just like the fact that 
Brian Deese, who's the economic chair for Joe Biden, has said the definition of recession is not, uh, you know, two quarters. They're lying to us. So this this bill is it's going to increase corporate taxes. And what does that do? It increases the consumer cost that the consumer has to pay. So it's, it's going to make inflate. I believe it's going to make it inflation worse. It's going to hurt people. And inflation is the number one issue on people's minds right now. The fact that we have credit card debt is increasing at a rate not seen in 20 years. And CNBC reported that 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So I think it's totally tone deaf and it's a waste of money. And it's, I agree with you that Mitch McConnell got totally played, uh, but he shouldn't have been playing with fire to begin with. He shouldn't even agreed to do the microchip bill. That was such a corporate giveaway. Um, but you're right in that respect that he, he looked like a fool. Yeah, there was a lot to unpack. First of all, the microchip bill was basically marketed as an anti-China bill which is incredibly shrewd marketing. So once that happened, there was no way that that wasn't going to pass. Um, and, you know, you can, we can debate the merits of the bill, but, but uh, there was no, that was, that was, the, that was a slam dunk once that happened. Um, you know, uh, uh, and again, going, going back to, uh, I think a minimum tax is something I've always thought is very fair. I don't think corporations should be paying no taxes. Just like I think, I think the fairest way to do it would be to have a 30% minimum personal tax and a 15% minimum corporate tax. The corporate tax was lowered from the statutory rate was lowered from 31, 35 to 21% during the Trump administration. Now I did not, but they got rid of the alternative minimum tax. And by the way, the U.S. What matters is the effective tax rate, not the statutory rate. Yes, we had one of the highest effect, uh, statutory rates in the country, but our effective tax rate was right around the average of most industrialized nations, which is about 19%. So this was a giveaway. I, I've said I was foreclosing loopholes, but not a corporate giveaway. So having a minimum tax, I think, is very, very fair. And I don't think anyone is going to dispute that. Yes, you can say it's going to raise taxes, but if, if, you, if raising taxes is make corporations who aren't paying any pay some i can i can live with that uh and i also think it's it does help with the transition because you want to invest in climate change but you also want to support the fossil fuel industry to help make that change so again is it is it a great bill no but i would say it, it's a good bill and i think it's better to have it than to not have it and what about uh control of the chambers what how do you think it's going to shake down Oh, I, I uh, ignored that question because I don't want to be on record. <laughs> you caught me. No, no, actually, I, I forgot. Um, no, I, I, uh, I mean, uh, look, after, after Trump won the nomination, I don't know if you know this, I was, uh, I, it was actually the last episode of the Ed Schultz show on MSNBC. I was a guest mm -hmm. in 2015 before the show was canceled. I had nothing to do with being canceled. I just happened to be on the show. But in that episode, I, I vowed, I said, that I believe it was like summer, fall 2015, I said, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, I will eat my right hand. Held up my right hand. And then obviously I was wrong. And Trevor Noah did a montage on The Daily Show mocking not just me, but other people who had said things that they would eat. So Dana Milbank said he would physically eat his column. So he he had a gourmet chef cook the, chef, the column into his a meal and ate it. Uh, there was another guy from CNN who said that he would eat his shoe. Um, so what I ended up doing was I got a large cookie and I put 
my right hand on it and I ate it. So I did eat my right hand. I just didn't specify uh, in what dimension. But anyway, that caveat, <laughs> I, I think the, the and, and the thing is we're a hundred days out now, or a little under a hundred days, you know, things could change. So sitting where I am today, I think that both Senate and House Republicans are in good shape to, to win them both. I do. Will it be overwhelming? I think the House will be stronger than the Senate. Um, I think that there are enough national headwinds. Again, people are suffering. And and then I think also the key variable here is Latino voters. You know, the fact that the New York Times is running around with his head cut off, screaming about the rise of the right wing Latina. I think that's really going to be the pivotal voting block here because they've seen that the, the left has overplayed its hand. Well, again, it'll think? be interesting. I, I personally think I think it'd be very hard for the Dems to keep the House. I just think that it's a more fluid body. And you also throw in a few external factors. Yes, redistricting wasn't as, uh, 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 excuse me, the uh, the realignment in terms of the uh, seats in Congress wasn't as bad as Dems feared, but it still is a net gain, I think, of about five seats. Uh, then you also have the gerrymandering. So there's, you know, there's a few things on the surface that make the House tough. I am having um, entertaining memories of Todd legitimate rape Aiken and, and Christine, I am not a witch O'Donnell, and Richard Rape is God's will Murdoch in terms of the seats that Republicans have squandered uh, with by nominating extreme candidates, and that they may do it again with Blake Masters in, in Arizona, who is Trumpier than Trump. But you have Herschel Walker. We don't need to talk about him anymore. We've already said our piece on that. You have Metmit Oz, who is trailing Fetterman in Pennsylvania by double digits. Uh, J.D. Vance, as I predicted, is underperforming in Ohio, and Tim Ryan is overperforming. So that's a more of an uphill slog, but I put that one at about 50-50. Uh, I think that, um, as I said, Mark Kelly, if they nominate Blake Masters, has a better has a better chance. I think Maggie Hassan is looking better now that Chris Sununu is, has, not, has not run. And also, I think being a woman, given what's happened with a lot of the Supreme Court stuff, uh, doesn't hurt in her case. Uh, and I also think, I mean, I still think the Democrats' toughest slog is uh, Masto in Nevada. And that and that's where I agree with you. The Latinos may decide that that race. Absolutely. Because yeah, the lack of very race. heavy uh, turnout, uh, usually Latino turnout and heavy population in Nevada. But to me, that's the only pickup that I see the Republicans getting. Whereas I, uh, I see the Dems picking up, definitely picking up Pennsylvania. I mean, short, short of a... Uh, Short of some some unshocking event, you know, John Fetterman having a fatal stroke or something, and again, he hasn't even been able to campaign, right? But he's a but he's been because he's had a stroke. So uh, I think well, right now, I think, a, I, I, think a, I think the Senate will be fifty one forty nine Dems, and I, I think they'll pick up a seat, and I think that the House won't be as bad. But right now, I would say twenty to twenty to thirty five seats for the Republicans. So I will go on. Right, let's. Well, let's let's hold let's hold the tape and review it later. Then see who was right. Um, but your 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 uh, transition there is actually perfect for me for my next question um, because you talk about the fact that in the Pennsylvania race you have Fetterman who basically is the new Joe Biden when it comes to being locked in your basement and having the media do your job for you. I just think that the media is so biased, and of course they're going to make. Oz look as terrible as possible. And Oz and is doing that on his own. The media. 
No, but the media, we know the media is in the bag for the left. We know this by study after study. But the most recent example that I want to get your take on is this media bias about the definition of a recession. So Brian Deese, who is Joe Biden's economic council chair in 2008, said publicly that the technical definition of a recession is two negative quarters of economic activity. Flash forward to 2022, and he goes in the White House podium and says, no, uh, economists say that, that it is not the technical debt, literally the exact opposite of what he said in 2008. So it's gaslighting. And yet you have the Washington Post and other major media outlets who are still asking, are we in a recession? The answer is yes, we were in a recession. Are we in a recession for Q3? We don't know. But is the United States in a recession as of Q2 by every definition that has been used for, for so long? Yes, America is in a recession. So why why do they gaslight and tell people they're stupid, essentially? Why, why do they think that we don't know what they're doing? Well, let me just, there's again, there's always lots of impact. Let me just make a comment. I, I, I reject the Biden-Fetterman comparison because Fetterman is a very skilled politician and he's been running great ads and very opportune tweets. So, and you know, he's, can't, he's in the basement because he doesn't want to be. I think base, Biden was in the basement because he wanted to be. So I, I don't think it's a valid comparison. But to answer your question, first of all, anytime, this is politics 101, anytime you get hung up on the nomenclature when you're debating what something should be called, that's not a good sign that you're very secure about your position. So, you know, just so there's some gratuitous advice to the Biden folks. And first of all, this is not just uh, Deese's um, definition. This has been like the classic economics textbook definition of a recession is two quarters of negative growth. The only caveat I will throw in is that, yes, this is a different type of economy. We've never had a jobless rate so low when inflation has been so high. Okay, there. So there are anomalous conditions in this economy which give, you know, the Paul Krugmans of the world uh, fodder to write columns and saying, well, yes, growth is slowed, but are we technically in a recession? You can make arguments either way. But but overall, I think it's really silly to get caught up in the weeds over what something is called. I think the Biden administration, again, and I've said this repeatedly, they need to focus on policy and uh, start doing things that they think are going to help the American people. Because, again, and, that, and this is a perfect segue to my question, because if people feel that the Democrats are doing something, and that's why I think this week is going to be more impactful uh, than you believe, because I think it's going to say, look, this is a Republican Party, which doesn't stand for anything, which is, hasn't really proposed anything on a national level other than obstruction. And a rhino means that you don't buy into the big lie. So, you know, you haven't been able to come up with one national policy that the Republican Party has is pushing. And and so the Democrats choice. Win, can win by saying school choice. We are, tax we cuts, are well, limited government, strong I'm defense, about stand up new. to that Iran. Choice is like lower taxes. You know, I mean, that's just sort of a you, you can and lower spending. You know, it's easy to rail against that stuff in the abstract. But I'm talking about fresh policies that are going to help parents people fresh. right now deal with the economy there's there and inflation and there really there aren't any but anyway the point is that that i think that the dems if they can focus on what they're doing hey, we're getting stuff done they're all about obstruction and authoritarianism that's their only chance because as you say you know um this it's all about being changing the subject if they can avoid not having to change the subject and actually 
have people focus on some of the things they're doing, it, w- it would help. But my question, again, is a good segue is, you know, uh, should Biden declare that he's not going to run? And if he does, you know, what effect is that going to have not only on his voters and the, the Democratic Party, but on Trump and his voters? Because as we know, Trump ain't exactly no spring chicken either. Yeah, I mean, well, Biden doesn't want to make himself a lame duck, but if he is going to get out, it'll have to be, you know, fairly soon after the election this year, I think. But I think that Gavin Newsom would probably be the strongest opponent that they have right now that I think nationally um, in terms of the charisma and he's led a large state. Um, But I mean, I think he's been a terrible governor, obviously. But uh, in terms of the age thing, though, I think that, uh, you know, polls show that I think Trump would have uh, his stronger chance would be against Biden. Uh, And I think that he would have a weaker chance against Newsom because he would have this new generation argument that he could make. Um, But as far as the Trump base, the Trump base isn't going anywhere. I I think we both know that to to this day. Um, But the question is the general, you know, and I think that Biden would be a spectacularly weak candidate no matter who the Republicans put up. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I would actually, I think that the, the two best things for Democratic chances in the midterms would be for Biden to declare that he's not running, because that would invigorate voters, get them more interested in the election, start thinking about the future, and to Trump, for Trump to declare that he is running. <laughs> because then it would be about Trump. And it would be the perfect distraction for the Dems. That's what they want. Trump, in essence, would already be on the ballot again in the in the in the minds of enough voters to actually have an impact on the on the midterm. So that's point number one. If I could do two, if I could suggest two things to help the Dems chances. Also, as far as the race goes, I agree with you. Unfortunately, I would love to have, you know, Charlie Baker run against Roy Cooper. Most people haven't heard of that. Have, haven't probably heard of those. You know, the, the governor of Massachusetts, a Republican governor who has a very high approval rating in a blue state, and another governor who's just got reelected pretty handily and is doing well in a purple state. And by the way, governors make better presidents than either businessmen or congressmen. So let's get a governor back in there because they've actually governed. Your thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, well, yeah, we're not going to see that ticket. You know, there was this new third party that just declared they've got some people from the left. I think they got oh, yeah, David uh, Christine Todd Whitman and uh, um, right. Mr. Andrew Yang. But and they said this time it's going to be different. We're going to be a third party that's going to have track. I don't buy that. Uh, I mean, Same who knows? Here. We'll see. I mean, they could shake things up, but I, I, I'm i skeptical. So I think we're going to be stuck with the Coke or Pepsi. Um, and I don't know. I just think that the the Democrat Party is just really jumped the shark in terms of how far left it's become, because I know you don't want to acknowledge this, but defund the police has been very common in very large cities. The the Seattle police or city council, Minneapolis, uh, the New York mayor with all the bell stuff, the San Francisco DA. So it's it's basically happening in practice where they they are defunding the police because they're saying we don't care about you, we're not supporting you, and in some cases they are actually they are actually cutting real dollars, millions of dollars away from from the budgets. And then you have the vice president Kamala Harris who is bailing out these criminals who were protesting and 
being violent uh, against people who support the police. So I, I, it's it's pervasive. It's not just uh, you know Cory Bush. It is it is actually very common in the left uh, to say that we wanted to fund the police. So I think that the the security issue and the fact the fact that violent crime is is incredibly high and climbing. Um, you know, my friend in Chicago, um, he's a Fox contributor, Gianno Caldwell. His his 18 year old baby brother was murdered. You know, in Chicago and in a nice area, like like you know, it's just. And that's why you're seeing so many, you know, I think it's 43 million people moved from one zip code to the other during the pandemic. And the vast migration of that is coming away from California, away from Illinois, away from New York, into places like Texas and Florida uh, and conservative areas. So I think this is this is all voting well for Republicans for the future. Um, But we'll see. Well, first of all, uh, this is a dirty little secret, but violent crime has gone up just as much in rural rural Republican areas as a percentage as it has in urban Democratic areas. So crime is going up everywhere. It's that, that's not a party specific thing. And as far as the police go, uh, a lot of that was fluff. You know, Minneapolis voted it down. Uh, when Eric Adams came in, in as mayor of New York, he re- rescinded any talk of, you know, budget cuts to the police as he did uh, getting rid of the one of the things that's really bothered me, getting rid of these gifted schools, which are the uh, only path for poor kids sometimes to get out of 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 neighborhoods. So, again, I think it's it's a lot of a a lot of it is hype. And I think that you're seeing uh, a lot of people who came out against defunding the police, their pariahs in the Democratic Party. Uh, But I do I do agree with you that any type of protester should be held should be held accountable, whether it's January 6th or even though you can't compare January 6th to Black Lives Matter in terms of the potential ramifications. You know, one was not trying to overthrow our democracy, but still people should be should be should be uh, held accountable to the full extent of the law. And that includes a lot of people who weren't just there, but people who are instigators. Hint, hint. Merrick Garland, I hope you're I hope you're listening. Anyway, well, I think that does it for another episode of Practically Political. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you next time.